hope this series has been encouraging to you. You know, sometimes I wonder if, if anyone's getting anything out of this. I can tell you that I'm not sure, but it seems like every one of these messages has spoken to me. And so I just, I'm so grateful to that. I, I'm, I, if it's not been working for you, I'm sorry. You can just kind of watch. And if it has been, you, you're just, I think you're just kind of part of it. But I think God has been truly dealing with me as we've been in this series because of just the highs and lows of life right now from the highs of my children being married to the lows of, of missing and losing Pastor Bill and everything in between. I cannot tell you the encouragement that I have received and being mindful of the plan of God, of the purpose of God and who I am and who we are as the people of God. This, this description means so much to me. First Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we have this peculiar calling and way of life as the people of God. And God provides for us. He, he gives us these, these powerful things that are a part of our life in him. And that's what we're studying. What we have as the people uh, of God's kingdom. We're studying the book of Acts, our origin story. And we're seeing what God provides and how and, and, and what it is we're to do with it. Today, we're, we're going to see that, that, that we, as God's people, we gain God's perspective. God is giving us his perspective. And God's perspective is so, so very powerful. It's so very important. But oftentimes, we don't, we don't think about it. I mean, everyone in this room, every human being on this planet has a perspective. But how often do you really think about your perspective? You know, as, as, as human beings, we also breathe. Have you, do you know you've been breathing? for the last uh, 30 minutes that you've been here as you've been seeing, but you haven't been thinking about it. Man, thank God I was breathing the whole time. It's just, it's just not what you do. It's a, a, until you kind of go somewhere where, you where it's difficult to breathe. That, this whole mask mandate thing has made me really appreciate breathing. Anybody else really appreciate? Yeah, I was in a hospital a few weeks ago and they still had the mask thing going on. I had to take the steps. And it was like, man, Lord, I really like to breathe. Can we, let's, let's move on, you know, let's get on with it. You know, think about um, your perspective. It's, it's often like breathing. You, you have one, but you, you don't really think about it. And, it. and it's important that we understand our perspective. It's, under, it's important that we realize that, that God often provides challenges so that we will gain his perspective on what's going on in our life. Um, you know, God will rarely just give you a, a, a word uh, to you specifically uh, about what he's going to do. He gives us the scriptures and that goes to all of us so that we can understand who he is and what we're to do. But what God will do is he guides us through our life. He guides us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have the word of God that, that helps us know what is true and what is right and who God is and who we are. But he gives us the Holy Spirit of God who, who then guides us through challenges. That, and that's kind of what we do as parents. You know, uh, as, as it pertains to parenting, it's, it's fallen on me to take the responsibility uh, when the children need shots to take them to go and get their shots. And, and part of it has to do with the fact that I don't have a lot of mercy and I don't care how they feel about it. And we just kind of we just kind of have to do that, you know, Carrie be upset for a week. I'm just like, move on. It's part of life. Go do what you got to do. But, you know, one of the things that I would often do is, is remind them that good girls and good boys get M&Ms. And that helps a lot. That helps a lot. But, you know, as, as they would pull out the needle and they were like, wait a minute, when did, what, how do we sign up for this? It's just part of it. Trust me. You know what I would tell my children? Don't look at the needle. Look at me. 
Don't look at the thing you're afraid of. Look at me. I love you. And this is happening by my permission because it's what you need and it's what is good. And you know, that's what our Heavenly Father says. Don't look at your pain. Don't look at your challenge. Don't look at your difficulty. God says, keep your eyes on me. Focus on the Lord. And the Lord will remind you that he loves you and he's got a plan for what you're doing. Now, it's amazing what happens in these times of challenges. I remember when Asher was a little guy, he had to get some blood drawn and uh, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. We, we went and they popped him up in this chair and all of a sudden they start doing all this stuff and he's looking at me like, you're gonna let them do this? And so they pull out a band and they strap it on his arm. He said, what are you gonna do with that? And they said, well, we're gonna get your veins to, to raise up. What are veins? Before they could answer the question, they pulled out a needle. He said, what are you gonna do with that? And uh, they poked him with it. He said, why'd you do that? And then blood started coming out. He said, is that my blood? These are all good questions. You know, when you're in the midst of pain, you know, these things come at you. His best question was after they put it in the little vial, he said, you going to get that back to me? <laughs> and then we had a whole other discussion on how of God's provision. When, when things are taken away, the Lord replaces. It's a, he's an amazing God. But through it all, I was saying, Asher, look at me. Asher, this is right. This is a good thing. And I was trying to alter his perspective so that he would see things through my eyes. And that's what God's always doing with us. He's always saying, guys, look at it through my lens. Look at it from God's perspective so that you, you can see what is true and you can, you can endure appropriately. And that's what our text helps us do today. It helps us see our life and our challenges from God's perspective. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Acts chapter 8. Lord willing, we're going to get through chapter 6 through 8. And the Lord was willing in the first service, but the, but the flesh was not my flesh. I couldn't get through it, but I did in the last service. We'll see how we do today. You guys need to be praying. Hope you borrowed a lunch. I'm just kidding, kidding. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Riley's going to come and read for us. Come on, sweet girl. We're in Acts chapter 8, and uh, she's going to read for us verses 9 through 13. This is just a snippet of one of the four stories, God willing, we're going to see today. And it just speaks to the amazing power of God. So go ahead and read that for us. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, sweet girl. If you would go ahead and be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. And so again, just to get you caught up, uh, Jesus has been crucified and raised. And he, he hung out for 40 days proving to his followers that he had indeed been raised. He told them to sit tight in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. The Spirit came and the church was born and 3,000 were added to their number that day who believed. And the church began to be the church, began to shine the light. And as the light shines, the darkness, as usual, fought, fought against it. And there was persecution and there was pain. But, but God had a plan in all of it. When we get to chapter six, uh, there's, a, there's a pretty... Uh, 
rapid pace it begins to pick up in, in the book itself. And, and what we begin to see is pain internally and externally. And all of this was a part of God's plan, of course. We, we see the church beginning to divide. We also see Stephen seized and, and then killed. Uh, and then we see the church doing what the church was supposed to do. Now, what was the church supposed to do? What was the assignment God gave? Go back real quick to Acts chapter one. Go back to the very first chapter of Acts. And let's be reminded again of what it is Jesus told the church to do. He said, I want you to sit tight in, in the, here in Jerusalem the Holy Spirit's going to come, and then they were to do something that they had not yet done uh, up to chapter 6. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. should be underlined in your Bibles. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Look where? In Jerusalem and all Judea, they'd done that. And Samaria, they hadn't done, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when we don't do what God calls us to do, God changes our circumstances so that we'll see them from his perspective and get on with what he has demanded. When, when we're sitting on our hands, when we ought to be waving them and being active, God has a way of getting us up and getting us going. That's what he was doing here. There was a challenge that was, that was being allowed by God so that the church could accomplish the purpose that, that the Lord had saved it for. And we need to understand that in these challenges, there are great blessings. There was a man in our church years ago who was busy and active, but he uh, experienced a medical emergency that had some long-term limitations. And it was interesting to watch him over years. He began, began to be a, a man of great prayer as he began to be a, a, a man of great contentment and gratitude. And, and it changed his life. The challenge he would have never wanted, it wouldn't want on anyone else, but the change that happened in his heart and in his life it was a huge help to him. And I'll never forget him saying this uh, a year or so after the event. He said, I know it sounds crazy, but this has helped me way more than it has hurt me. One of the things that we realize when we see our life from God's perspective, that God has a way of helping us way more than, he, than the things that hurt us hurt us. That yes, there's things that are going to hurt but here's what we can know. The help that we need from that hurt is always necessary and it's always best. And the, and the hurt we feel is nothing compared to the help that we gain. Remember this, I've said it before. If God allows it, it's necessary. If God withholds it, it's not needed. If God allows it, if he allows pain and loss and suffering, it's necessary. It's necessary to the plan and the process of making you more of what it means to be the people of the kingdom of God. If he withholds it, if he says no to your prayer, it's not needed. God has something else going on. And the hurt that you're going to feel is going to be matched by a blessing of the help that comes. And it's important that we see that that we see our lives from that perspective, that we live our lives from God's perspective. And that's what our text helps us to do. And so today we're gonna look at four particular challenges and we're gonna see how they provide blessings to God's people when they saw them from God's perspective. And so write down and remember these four things. The first one is this, from God's perspective, contention is an opportunity to unify the church. Contention, conflict. It, it, you know, difficult relationships. This is an opportunity and God uses it because we're peacemakers, because the peace of the gospel is at work in our midst. And, and so if you would go back to chapter six, verse one. And as we read this, I know there may be some who would think, well, 
this is not a big deal. I mean, this, is, this easily could have been fixed. Why would this divide the church? Friends, we need to always be very careful about the importance of the unity of the church. And we should never take division within the church lightly. We, we must always work to protect the unity of the church and that we be a people who love God and love one another and deal with the difficulties that come from misunderstanding and even wrong. Even there, there's forgiveness and there's peacemaking. So let's look at what's happening to the, the early church in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, now notice what was happening. Good things. Church was growing. There was vitality. There was health. And yet there was difficulty. Why? A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, who are the Hellenists? The Hellenists were basically Greek Jews. These are Jews who were raised outside of, of Jerusalem and Judea and that area. And their primary language was not Hebrew and their primary culture was not Hebrew. It, it was primarily, it, it was Greek and they spoke Greek and they were fam more familiar with Greek customs. Now the Hebrews, they spoke Aramaic and they were way more familiar with the Hebrew customs and they, they lived out of those Hebrew customs. And so it's not surprising that people with two different languages was, would not communicate well. It's not surprising that, that people who had different rhythms and, and, and ways of enjoying life may not connect. And so there was this unintended consequence and, and most probably an unintentional oversight by the Hebrews not caring for these Hellenists. Now, what God did was amazing. It's what God typically does to those who are willing to serve his purpose and rather than theirs. Rather than allowing a, a, a situation to create more division, there's a, there was a means by which unity could be restored and health, health could happen. See, what happened up to this point is that the apostles were doing everything. They were, they were making sure everybody was fed. They were making sure everyone was taught. They were doing all the healing. But that's not the way God intended the church to be. God intended his church to be a single body with everyone doing their part. And so God created the office of deacon. And it's interesting that here we are on the day of, of affirming deacons, that, that we would be studying the, the text where the beginning of the ministry began. It's important to see where God calls deacons from. Look at verse three. The, the people were responsible, and this is an important word, they were to pick individuals, men. Now this word pick, it's, it's the word epi, that's the first word, it means from, it's, a, it's the, the beginning of that word, and then uh, uh, skeptomai. Episkeptomai, from and with skepticism. We are, when we are looking for leaders within the church, there is to be a bit of skepticism. Is this God's man? Is this the one which God has raised up? Do they have the characteristics? Do they have the character? Do they meet the requirements that are clearly outlined in scripture for them to be able to serve and lead in this capacity? And we must always do that. And we do a great job of that here at Living Hope. And I'm so grateful that you have made nominations of deacons. And our deacons have done a phenomenal job of vetting them. And our, our elders have stepped in. And you'll notice that the apostles then, they were there to, to appoint. And it may lead to a question as in some of the commentaries, well, which one was it? Did the people pick it or did the apostles appoint them? Yes. Here's what we need to understand. We are to pick them, but God is the one who appoints them. God is the one who's at work in every one of our lives, having gifted us and called us to his purpose. And we as the congregation have the joy of picking, that is affirming and seeing that the Lord was at work. And notice what happened in verse seven. When everyone was doing their part, 
When, when, the, when the, the apostles were being apostles and the deacons were deaconing and the people were, were loving one another, it says in verse seven, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and, many, uh, and, and a great many of the priests. Now, these were the, these were the Levitical leaders who taught the Torah and taught the people the old ways of, of the Hebrew religion. Look what happened there. The priests became obedient to the faith. In the midst of this love and, and in the midst of this contention, not dividing, it became more appealing to those who are outside the faith to see that there really is something happening here. There really is this love of Christ. There really is the peace of God. There really is peacemaking and there's something powerful happening. And, and when we look at contention and when you're having difficulties in your marriage, when you're having disagreements in your family, when you're having a tough time with, with, with friends, understand this is an opportunity for unity as you live out the love of Christ and you exercise exercise the work of peacemaking commanded in the scriptures. Second thing, from God's perspective, opposition is an opportunity to clarify the truth. Opposition. Opposition is an opportunity to clarify the truth. Now, Acts 6, 8 through 753, it's, 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 a, it's both an inspiring and aspiring tale. It's also very sad. Because this deacon who had been selected, Stephen, gifted with the, with the gift of preaching and teaching, began to communicate the truth. And a trial was held and he was killed. But in the midst of it, notice his, notice his mentality that was seen in his countenance. Look at verse 15. Well, let's, first, let's start with verse 8 and then let's get to 15. So what happened? Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. They were arguing about what he was teaching about Christ and what the Old Testament said about him. Now, I love the way it describes the fact that Stephen had wisdom from the Spirit of God. And the same Spirit of God who lived in, in Stephen lives in those of us who believe. And that wisdom allows us to understand the Word of God so that we can articulate it and we can help others to, to know what it means. So as these were fighting against him and making charges against him, notice his countenance. Go to verse 15. It, rather than getting hostile and angry and breathing out threats, it says, and gazing at him, all who said in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, now how, with your life being, with his life being threatened and people telling lies about him, attacking him, how can he have such calm and peace? Friends, when the truth is on your side, you have every reason to be confident. When there's love in your heart, not only for God, but for those who are attacking you, you can't help but have calm. When there's the, the power of the peace of God and you have the capacity to tell the truth that brings about the peace, you can't help but have a countenance that communicates well what God has done and what God is doing. And so given his countenance, given his testimony, given the strength of, of the, and the validity of what he was teaching, the council had to give him a platform. Look in, uh, look in chapter 7, verse, verses 1 and 2. A platform was given for, for Stephen to preach. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And then he goes on, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, and, and he taught the gospel from the Old Testament. And, and you who are believers in Jesus Christ, you need to be able to do this. 
And I challenge many of you to make sure that you could do this. And that's why many of you have taken Alpha and Omega. And those of you who are, have taken and are taking Alpha and Omega, you can do this. You can take Stephen's sermon preached here in Acts chapter 7, those Old Testament stories, and you can communicate the gospel effectively from those very stories. Now, what I want to encourage you to notice again is just Stephen's attitude, Stephen's mentality, Stephen's countenance. He, he was not belligerent. He, he wasn't calling on his legal rights. He wasn't attacking Instead, he was acting with kindness and compassion and confidence. What we are to do, what we are commanded to do in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Remember this one. This one's an important one. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And this is what Stephen did. They were lying about him. Stephen had won the argument. So now they're making up stuff about him and they're attacking him. And yet he continued to be kind and compassionate and truthful. And he had, he had an understanding of what was happening to him from God's perspective. And, and so through it, he, he was able to continue just to overcome the attacks that were made at him. Friends, one of the best ways that you can grow in your faith in Jesus Christ is to share your faith in Jesus Christ with those who don't believe. And one of the great things that happens is, is that those who don't believe ask questions. How can you believe this? How can you believe a book that's this old? Why in the world would, would you stake your identity and all that you have and are on, on something that's this old and, and seemingly not consistent with what we're hearing in society today? It provides you a great reason to go back and look at your faith and clarify it not only for them but for yourself that's one of the great things about my faith that I've enjoyed so much is the opportunity to speak with those who don't believe to answer their really good hard questions about why the gospel is true and what it has done for me it has provided clarity clarity for why I believe and what I believe. And that's what is needed today. God's people, we need to know what we believe. We need clarity. So what's God going to do? He's going to provide opposition and we need to see it from God's perspective as the blessing that it is. Third thing, from God's perspective, persecution is an opportunity to multiply disciples to multiply disciples. And, and that's what was happening is uh, from the life of, of Stephen being lost to the work of God's people, then going out in, in, into the areas where God had commanded them. Now, when you read chapter seven and eight, and I would encourage you to take some time and just sit down and read chapter seven and eight and see the persecution that broke out. We should not pray for this. This is not something that we should seek as Christians, but friends, this is also something that we should not fear. Do not fear persecution. Do not fear what people will say and possibly do. Do not fear. Don't put your eyes on those. Put your eyes on your father. Put your eyes on God, trusting that he has a plan for the persecution that you're going through, that we are going through, that we will go through. Now, the question has to be asked, why does the church typically grow faster and larger in cultures where the church is persecuted? There's a lot of reasons, and I've studied many of them. I think three of the big reasons is this. First of all, when there's persecution, the, the congregation, people of the church, get serious about their responsibility to God. 
You know, sadly, right now in our congregation, that we, don't, we don't have a majority of our people very serious about their responsibility to God. Not all are giving financially, very few are praying faithfully, and, and a majority do not attend every single Sunday, even though they can and should. Why is that? It's not taking it seriously enough. But I tell you what, hit some persecution, all of a sudden we need to have extra services, more prayer meetings, more, more of the things that are about the kingdom of God. And that's what's happening in places like China and Iran and Africa, by the way, where it is, where it is most difficult to, to be a proponent of Christianity, that's where it's growing the fastest. Why? Because not only are the, the people of the church, the church is taking greater responsibility, they're, they're praying. They are praying with a passion. They are praying desperately. Friends, we're praying, most of us, comfortably. God, give me more, give me better. You know what they're praying? God, move or we die. God, act or hell is soon imminent in the life of this person that I care about. There is a desperation in the prayers of those who are being persecuted. And this church began to pray and this church began to take responsibility and this church became very bold. There's a boldness that happens in the face of persecution. And it's happened historically. It was happening here at the beginning. And again, we don't need to seek persecution, nor should we fear it. Friends, we live in a time here in the West where we have some level of comfort. In our comfort, we are to comfort those who are being hurt. And there's so many ways to do this. One of the ways we do it here at Living Hope is with the Samaritan's Purse Christmas boxes. And, and I know that there are some that's like, what, what is a shoebox? How is a handful of gifts? How is that going to help anybody? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's watch this together. Let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Operation Christmas Child is a way for the little children to come to Almighty God. That is the best gift of all, is becoming part of God's family. The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus, children are being discipled, and children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. These children are brave and bold, not afraid, and they're not ashamed of the gospel. They're trained and equipped to go out and share their faith with others. And many times in areas where it's an unreached people group, the Bible tells us the time is now. Let them come, Jesus said, let them come. And they're coming. They're coming by the millions. Every single box represents the life of a young boy, a young girl who will be touched by the gospel. Jesus has come to give them light, that they do not need to be in the darkness, that they have hope, that they have joy. And it is our prayer that this glorious light of the gospel will flow among the nations and will fill our land with the knowledge of the glory of God. The Lord God Almighty desires to fulfill His redemptive plan for mankind in and through each of us and all of us. All of us are children of God. We share 
this incredible opportunity to take the gospel truly to the ends of the earth by gathering children to Jesus. I believe this year for Operation Christmas Child, this may be the most important year, most important opportunity that we'll ever have to reach children in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray that God will use these shoebox gifts to make a difference in the children's life for eternity. Again, a very small thing to us becomes a very great thing in the lives of these children and, and from others. You know, we send these things and they don't always end up where they're supposed to be. You know, they, they go and we don't know when they're going to arrive. There was a box that was sent in 2020. It didn't show up to a destination until the fall of last year. And it didn't arrive where it had been sent. It went from one hand to the other, from one child to another. And a child who was in a country where Christianity was, was not allowed got that box, took it to the village and was encountered by what we would probably call a witch doctor, um, a, a voodoo spiritualist. H having met these people, been around, it, it's a very intimidating thing to be in the presence of one of these individuals. And yet this child was bold and, and shared the contents and shared the gospel. And this, this dude got saved. <laughs> Absolutely transformed and began to share the power of the gospel of God. And that's the miracle of God. And that's what I love about the, our, our public reading of Scripture. Real quick, go back to our public reading, Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. Here is this Simon the magician. I can't help but think of him like that voodoo guy that got saved. As he comes in contact with the truth, he's overwhelmed and he believes because there were those who were willing to go and who were willing to share. And his life was transformed and there was a change. The last thing that I want to point out, again, this is the fourth thing. There's much that could be said there. I'm going to post some stuff here in just a bit from my outline. But let's go to the last thing because I do want to give attention to this. From God's perspective, Submission is an opportunity to, an, to accompany God. And I want to be sure and take just a couple of minutes because this text really, it really convicts me. It really convicts me. You, you look at what's happening in Acts chapter 8. There's a revival in Samaria. Philip's preaching is being well received. There's lots of change that's taking place. And, and look at verse 26. Look what God does. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. You know, Philip could have easily said, Lord, I don't have time. We got a lot of stuff going on in here in Samaria and, and there's a lot of people here. And don't you know, there's a lot of unreached people here in Samaria. You want me to go to the middle of nowhere? But look what Philip did. He went. He went to the middle of nowhere because God called him to do it. And guess what? God met him there. And he brought an Ethiopian eunuch, someone who would have been rejected by the, the Jewish traditions, who had access to resources and so had bought a, a, a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit led Philip to go walk beside his chariot and heard him reading the gospel, asked a simple question, do you know what you're reading? And, and, and then jumped up and explained the gospel from that text. And that Ethiopian was saved and baptized. Why? Be because God saved him for one, but because Philip was willing to go. Friends, how many of us keep making the excuse, I'm busy, 
There's a lot of people to reach here in Bowling Green. There's plenty of people to reach here in North America. Friends, God is calling us to go. Some of you are supposed to go to the Black Sea this year. Some of you are supposed to go to West Africa this year. Some of you are supposed to go to Western Europe this year. Some of you are supposed to go to Thailand. Some of you are supposed to go to some dark places in our state and in our country. But here's what many of you are going to do. You're going to miss the opportunity. Why? Because you think you know better than God. And you're busy. And there's people that need to be reached here. And both of those things may be very true, and I'm sure they were true of Philip, but they didn't keep him from obeying God. Friends, obey God. Understand that submission to your time and your money creates the opportunity for, for you to accompany God in what he's doing in the world. What's he doing? He's saving lost people from hell. He's healing marriages and he's strengthening families. He's bringing hope where there's darkness and he's letting his love be manifest in miraculous ways. Friends, give up your plan and give it to God. See every challenge from God's perspective and know that he has a plan. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, I know that what I am encouraging some to do, not all can do because they're not saved. Only those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone can possibly consider taking this to heart. And so I pray that there will be some today who will be saved. And so care leaders, if you would come forward. And I, Lord, I pray that even right now, some who have yet to receive Christ as Savior and Lord would, would see a leader that they could come and talk with before we leave today. Father, I also know that in our family of faith, there are many who are challenged to walk in obedience to your word, who, who are unwilling to, to make you the focal point of their life. And God, I, I know what, what you can and, and, and if you really are set to do it is you're gonna bring challenges and pain that get us. And, and Lord, that's good because you know what's best. But oh Lord, how sensible it would be for, for us just to simply repent, repent of not giving, repent of not going, repent of not praying, repent of, of not being responsible to be faithful to the covenant membership we've committed to and simply walk in, in your way and experience the favor of the blessing that comes. So Lord, I pray for your children today, that all of us, that, that we will commit ourselves to honor you and to see our lives from, from your perspective. Please do this, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts. That is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing that prayer and you come and pray as you need to.